Hello, Shoreline City. How's everybody doing today? I'm so, so excited because it's not just White Rock today, but it's also our Bishop Arts Oak Cliff campus that's with us as well. Give them a huge round of applause. BA Oak Cliff applauding here. I am so, so thrilled. We launched our Bishop Arts Oak Cliff campus uh, last weekend. It was absolutely phenomenal, kind of. It was more of a soft launch, kind of make sure we didn't mess anything up. But we're back in chimes again tonight, and I am thrilled. I'm actually going to do something a little bit uh, unique as well. I'm going to preach the first part of this message, and then I'm going to toss it to Eric Sewing, the campus pastor over there, in just a little while. So we're going to do a little tag team preaching uh, today. But I'm so, so excited about today. Everyone who is with us for the first time, I pray that you're feeling like you're with some family, some people that really care about you. Because we do, our hearts are like absolutely overwhelmed that people week in and week out keep coming to this place and they've never been here before. And I want you to know, we have prayed for you. We prayed that you would walk into the doors and you would feel right at home. So whether that's at White Rock, at Chimes, on our Antigua campus, wherever it is, I just cannot wait to see all that God does in our hearts and our lives today. We have been in this series called Mobilize, okay? And this Mobilize series is really, really important because I'm trying to get us ready, not just for where we are, but where God is trying to take us. This word mobilize means something. I I looked it up, and, and, and here's a definition. To prepare and organize troops for active service. To organize and encourage people to act in a concerted way in order to bring about a particular objective. To marshal for action. Ready for action. Movement. To assemble and make ready for war. This is what the word mobilize means. And this is what we are called to. In all honesty, I feel like this this passion, this this urge, this hunger, this desire to make sure all of us are being positioned and getting ready for where God is trying to take us. Do you know he's not done with you yet? Come on, he is not done with you yet. He has so much more in store for every one of us. And since he does, I just want to make sure we're getting ready for where he's trying to take us. I don't want us resting on our laurels thinking, well, my life is good enough. No, it's not good enough yet. It's not good enough until you have totally reached the full potential and purpose that God has for you. That is the destiny that we're trying to bring ourselves into So in 2019, I'm trying to prepare us, not just for this year, but for all that's even on the horizon for us as a church. But the reality is whenever uh, you have a plan, it does not always go according to plan. Is that the truth here or what? Uh, The beginning of this year, I was going to get in shape, right? I was going to get in shape because I had had back fat that was... (laughs) This is a real thing, y'all. You guys are laughing. I, I, I had this, this muffin that was kind of I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I knew it was real when my 14-year-old came in one day and was like, hey, Dad, where are your abs? So then I karate chopped him in the throat. And then after I did that, I, I did not actually do that, but I thought to. I'm like, boy, you better get your, I feed you. So anyway, I, I'm thinking, oh man, I, I, I gotta get, I gotta get 
in, in shape. And uh, so got with uh, Dean Zhu. He, he's a trainer, and he sends me these little uh, he sends me these little workouts I get on my phone, and I, I can do some of them at the house, some of them at the gym, and I start, y'all, I'm going. I, I mean, I'm, you know, faithful faithful. You know, I'm like, mm, I'm in this thing. I'm in this thing. I'm like, yes. So now I'm working out, but I'm also eating whatever I want because I'm working out. That's the way it's supposed to happen. So I, I'm working out. I'm working out. And one day I go and get one of those like massage things. You, know, you sit in one of those chairs, you get a massage and I, I get it. And then the next day I, I don't feel my back kind of like, oh, this, my back kind of hurts. And before I know it, I have this pain in my back. Literally, I have this, I have the pain right now. It has carried with me for, uh, it's been a couple of months, it feels like, and it's only, what, March right now. It's since the middle of February, beginning of February, I've had this, I've had this tightness all the way throughout my back, and I thought, well, hey, just push through. Who cares? You're a man. So I just keep on going uh, to the gym, and it's not getting any better, but I'm thinking it's going to get better. So then I start doing drugs, right? I'm doing a leave. I'm doing ibuprofen. I'm doing the stuff that I need to do. <laughs> They're all legal. So I'm doing, and not marijuana, for some of y'all are like, well, is that legal in Colorado? It's not in Texas. So anyway, I... I go, I keep on doing all these drugs. My back is not getting any better. I finally, Dean hooks me up with this uh, fantastic uh, doctor. I go to him, and he's been working on me. And, y'all, it has been the most painful experience of my entire life because you know a doctor, what they want to do when you're hurting is hurt you more. That, that's what they do. So I'm there, And he is working on my back, and I find out that my trapezes are all, I mean, they go all the way down your back. I didn't know this, okay? They're all the way down your back, all the way into your shoulders, and he's just working on me, working on me. Work. I'm crying. I am yelling out loud. I can't believe all the pain that he's putting me through, but he says, you can go back to working out. I worked out the other day, and I want you to know I'm still in pain. So anyway... But I asked Dean, I'm like, Dean, hey, you gave me a great workout plan at the beginning of the year. I've, I've gotten off of it, okay? I've, I've been off for four weeks, and I, I just need to, get, I need to get back on the plan. So, so he, he's resending me my plans because I started off the year thinking, okay, it's going to go this way. But I, I didn't account for my injury. And it's the same thing that happens in our lives. We, we start off going, all right, this is going to be, this is it. This is my best year ever. Woo! And then injury. Then downsizing at your job. Then a loved one gets sick. Or it might even be something good that can happen in your life, and it just changes up the game. You, you get an inheritance or something, and now you have more money than you know how to manage, right? So you think, I need to buy everything for everyone, but you got, you got to slow down, and you got to figure out what was my game plan in the beginning. Uh, put another way, uh, you got to go back to the drawing board. And this is the title of today's message. Go back to the drawing board. I I want to get us ready for when 
the, the battles come our way, all right? Because sometimes the plan that we have laid out does not go the way we want it to. And I cannot have Shoreline City people quitting because the plan did not go the way they wanted to. I cannot have Shoreline City people throwing in the towel because things did not come together the way you wanted them to in your time. I need us to be the type of people that can fall but get back up again. I need us to be the type of people that can take a licking and keep on ticking. I don't want us to be fair weather Christians or fair weather followers of Jesus. I want us to be the ones that will stand the test of time no matter what comes our way. So I I want to talk for a moment about David, okay, for a moment about David. And and, and David, this is the same David of David and Goliath, the one who, you know, had the slingshot and, and, you know, killed Goliath and chopped off his head. This David was a shepherd and was picked to be king, and he ends up being king. He has tons of victories. He's been living his life for an extended period of time, and he's had victory after victory after victory after victory. Then in 2 Samuel chapter number 11, some things go a little bit different for him. I want to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse number 1. It says, in the springtime, when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed. I'm now in verse number 2, 2 Samuel chapter 11. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness, but then she went back home. The woman conceived, verse number five, the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. Okay, I told you the Bible is not boring. (laughs) Here is the king supposed to be fighting, and for just a couple of moments, I want to pull some truths out of these couple of verses here, okay? Then I'm going to get into some really, really practical things and get ready to toss it over to uh, Eric Sewing in, in, in a second as well. But, but what, what, what's happening is the kings are supposed to go off the battle. We read that in verse number one. In the springtime, the kings are supposed to go off to battle. In the springtime, the kings are supposed to go off to battle. So he's supposed to be fighting. But he's not. Instead, he's at his palace. And now he's at his palace and he's walking around one night. And he looks over and he sees a woman bathing. And she's beautiful. Very beautiful. And she's got her dove soap and her scrunchie and all the stuff. And he's just, he's just watching. Calls for, hey, 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 who's that, who's that? Brings her over, sleeps with the woman. The woman gets pregnant. David just sends her on home like she didn't really even matter all that much to him. 
there's, there's some, some, some truths in here, but the first one I want us to get is, is when you're supposed to be fighting, okay, this is how I have it written down, when, when, when you're, when, once you stop fighting, you're setting yourself up for falling. Once you stop fighting, you're setting yourself up for falling. What, 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 is, what does that mean? When, when you lose that edge, you know, you lose that fight. You lose that like, hey, I'm taking ground. Hey, I'm moving forward. Hey, I, I've got some tenacity. I've got some energy. i got some fight on the inside. And when you lose that and begin to sit back, it is one of the, the enemy's ploys to get you to go the opposite direction. And you say, well, I'm not doing anything bad, but you're also not really doing anything good either. Once you stop fighting, you're setting yourself up for falling because what fighting does is it keeps you engaged. It keeps you engaged. When, whenever you go watch a UFC fight, they're not just kind of walking through and just kind of in the octagon and looking up at the stands. That's not what they're doing. Why? Because they're in a fight. When you're in a fight, you got to be engaged with who's in front of you. You're looking on either side of you. You know when you drive into a bad neighborhood? Come on, you, know, you drive in, you're like, oh, I'm going to see a friend. And you're like, oh, I didn't know my friend lived in the hood. And you, <laughs> you roll in, like, okay, oh, okay, okay. You check your windows. You check your doors. <laughs> and and you, you're, you're on a higher alert because of the environment that you are in. This is why the suburbs can kill your soul, okay? The suburbs... Can, can rock you to sleep. The suburbs will make you think that everything is good in life and you forget that there's a battle actually going on for your heart and the hearts of your kids and your family and your neighbors as well. Don't let the suburbs rock you to sleep. That's why it might be good for some of you just to drive back in the hood and go, oh yeah, okay. I need to remember this. I need to remember that people's souls look like this. I need to remember that there are parts of our society that still look like this. I need to stay on my game. I need to keep engaged. Once you stop fighting, you're setting yourself up for falling. So, so I, I want to I make sure, I want to make sure you, you, you still rest, okay? Rest. Take your vacation. I'm going to do it this summer, too. I'm taking a vacation. I'm going to come back tanned. I'm leaving all of y'all for just you know, a couple weeks. I'm just le- leaving all of y'all. But I'm going to come back. I can't wait. It's going to be good. It's going to be healthy. But I'm not talking about taking a vacation. Uh-oh, uh, uh, like you needing to rest. I'm talking about taking a vacation from your purpose. When the kings are supposed to be fighting, when the queens are supposed to be fighting, you better be fighting. So, so here, here, uh, here, here, here's the king, and he ends up, he ends up now on the rooftop, and he's looking at this woman, baby, and he's looking. And do you think he just looked real quick and then turned away? No, 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 no. He, he's just looking. It's creepy. It's creepy. Just looking. Here's the next principle. Where you look is where you'll lean. Okay? And if you keep, if you just keep.
It's the direction that you end up going. Your, your life will be following your eyes. Where you look is, is, where, is where you're going to end up leaning. If you don't want any chocolate chip cookies, like I'm trying to avoid chocolate chip cookies so I can get, you know, get back to my son going, Earl, dad, look at those abs. So I'm trying to get back there. But man, we got some people in this church that can throw down, okay? And you guys are so kind. You're kind to your pastor. You're kind and you bring me stuff. And I can't say no. That'd be rude. <laughs> so I, I receive <laughs> what you give me. <laughs> but if somebody, if you, if you want to avoid chocolate chip cookies and they bring them to your office, put them on your desk. And you don't want the chocolate chip cookies. But you just choose to keep them on your desk. It doesn't look at them. You don't touch them. You don't touch them. You don't touch them. Smelling them a little bit. If you keep staring at those things long enough, you will end up eating what you don't want to eat. And this is what is happening to too many of us. We're wondering why we are falling in ways that we're falling or our life is stuck in ways that it's stuck. It's because we have fixed our attention on something that our attention ought not be fixed on. And we are looking at that thing so long and so intently and staring at it so much. No wonder you're grabbing the cookie. I'm telling you, you better get that cookie off of your desk immediately. You, I'll tell you this. Whatever you stare at actually magnifies. It gets bigger. So, so maybe your marriage is not as bad as you think. But maybe, just maybe, you are staring at the parts of your spouse that are so terrible. And that is the thing that keeps on growing, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Maybe your job is not as bad as you think. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not as bad. Maybe you're just staring right now at all of the terrible things and all of the terrible people that, you, that, that are at that job. And since you're focused on that so much, that's what keeps getting bigger and bigger. No wonder you're leaning towards complaining. No wonder you're leaning towards aggravation. No wonder you're leaning towards anger. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, the Bible says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. That's what Jesus says to us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2, it says fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, come on, Bishop Barth, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the, the one that's holding it all together, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Those of you who are motorcyclists, you will know this. You'll know that whenever you're learning to ride a motorcycle, they teach you not to focus on the debris that's in the road. It's called target fixation. If you focus on the debris then you end up hitting the debris. Your, your motorcycle will go towards where you're looking. But if you will focus beyond the debris, then your motorcycle will go that place and you'll be able to get around. Many of us are falling over and over again because we are so focused on our sin and we're so focused on our shortcomings and we're so focused on our mistakes. And since we're so focused on that, it's no wonder that we keep riding our lives right into that thing. I want us to lift our eyes up, get our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the pioneer and completer of our faith. 
So, so with this happening, so David, David, he ends up sleeping with this woman. She uh, gets pregnant. She actually ends up losing uh, that baby. David actually ends up having her husband killed as well. There is manipulation. There are lies. There is uh, adultery. There is so much junk that goes on in this story. You can read it later this week, 2 Samuel, chapter 11 and 12. There's a moment. David's had the husband killed. David's now taken this dead man's wife as his own. The prophet shows up. His name is Nathan. Nathan shares his story, and after he gets done sharing the story with David, David stands up, and he's irate. He's like, what? What happened? Who would have done this? And David is so upset. And Nathan says to him, Nathan the prophet says, you can be upset as you, if you want to, but I'm talking about you. You're the man that did this. You're the man that took something that did not belong to you. You're the one that killed something you should have not killed. You're the one that did this. And David is faced with his sin. And in this moment of being faced With this sin, he has a response. The response, theologians believe, is found in Psalm 51. It's one of the books of our Bible, and it's in this response that I want you and I to see our game plan for going back to the drawing board. It's in this response that I want you and I to see how we respond when we fall, and here are, here are, it's four, four simple things, four simple things. After these four simple things, I'm going to toss it over to, to, to Eric Sewing there at Bishop Arts. Uh, but but here, are the, here are the four simple things, four simple things. You ready? They're, they're, they're simple, but they're profound. First one is you got to come to God. Second one, confess your sin. Third one, you got to receive the gift. Fourth, you got to walk in confidence. Here are the four, and they're all found in Psalm 51. Sending it to Eric. You got it. Okay, now, now, uh, this first one, Psalm 51, verse number one. I want, I want you to look at this with me. Look at this, Psalm 51, verse number one. You got you to come to God. You got to come to God. You got to come to God. You got to come to God. Have mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Have what on me, O God? Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing what? Love. According to your great what? Compassion. Do you see the words that David is using here? He has been confronted with his sin. He has been confronted with his shortcoming, and he does not run to himself. He runs to God, and he says, God, I want to remind myself of your mercy. I want to remind myself of your unfailing love. I want to remind myself of your compassion. Thank you, oh God, that you are who you say you are. Thank you that you won't turn your back on me. Thank you that my sin is not greater than your love. Thank you that you're on my side. Thank you that you're fighting for me. Thank you that you knew me before I even knew myself and you called me when I wouldn't have called myself. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your unfailing love. He comes 
to God. But he doesn't just stop there. Now, he's about to confess his sin. Look with me in, in verse number two. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. This word sin is a word that many are trying to purge from our society. I don't think it's a wise thing to do. One, because it's in God's word. It it means to miss the mark. Fall, stumble. Like God says, here's the target, and you you keep missing the target. And if we're honest, all of us have missed the target, every last one of us. And when you miss the target, many times you even know this intuitively, like I'm off right now. I'm off. I'm off. And that's where that guilt comes in. If you and I try to get rid of this word sin, then we will understand what is the, 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 the beginner, the starter, if you will, of all this guilt. So our guilt will stay with us if we try to get rid of this idea of sin. But if we'll expose sin for what it is and call it what it is, then it can mess with our guilt and purge us of that guilt and that shame shame and that condemnation that tries to come our way. So here we see that David's saying, I've sinned. I've been sinful from the time I was in my mother's womb. I've messed up. I've missed the mark. And he calls it what it is. And because he calls it what it is, there's a beautiful promise in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. It says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. From all unrighteousness, not not a little bit of unrighteousness, but all unrighteousness. Okay, if what you and I aren't willing to confess will eventually become our coffin, okay? It it, will become your coffin. It it will become your prison. It will become the thing that will bury you. Bury you. So this is not... We're against you. We're actually for you. This truth is needed not just for my heart but for all of our hearts. But here's the problem. Here's the problem in church world. In church world, people are like, okay, I can come to God. Then I'm going to confess my sin. We stay right there. Stay right there. Like, the longer I feel guilty, the more God will know that I really mean it. I'm going to stay guilty for a long time. But this is not what David does. He comes to God. He confesses his sin, not making light of it, calling it what it is. But then he moves on and he receives the gift. Look at this. Look at this in verse number 14, Psalm 51, verse 14. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Righteousness. Right standing with God. No guilt, no shame standing before God. No sin standing before God. 
him looking at you and seeing Jesus when he looks at you. Here's the verse. Here's the verse. This is, y'all, this verse right here, this is a good verse. You might want to skip over it, but it's a very, very important verse. Romans chapter 5, verse number 17. It says, for if by the trespass of one man, Adam, in the beginning, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the, what's the word? Gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. Our oldest, uh, our middle son, uh, Grayson, um, we, uh, we bought him some shoes, and he just destroyed them because he's eight, and so he destroyed them. And uh, so I didn't go get him any new ones. I was like, hey, borrow some of your brothers. Well, his brother's 14 years old, so he's been wearing his brother's old Kyrie's, <laughs> and they look like boats on him. Now, Grayson has big feet, mind you, but he's walking around, you know, a little bit. So, uh, so we, 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 went, we went the other day. I was like, okay, we're getting, getting some shoes, getting some shoes. So uh, he saw some of the Jordans that his brother has, and, uh, and then he was looking at all these shoes and all these different ones, and you know, they're crazy nowadays, okay? $195 for a pair of shoes for an 8-year-old? I wish I would. So I, uh, so I'm looking around, <laughs> and I'm trying to find, you know, give me, give me a, a cheaper shoe. We we find one, and we we get the, we get him these uh, shoes, and and give them to him. And what he does is he opens them, and he wears them, because that's what you do with a gift. That's what you do. He, he receives the gift, and he puts it on. He does not say, Dad, no. Not me, Father. Not me, Father. Let me wear these busted, broken-down Kyries. You take those shoes, and you give them to someone else who really needs them. I know, I know, Father. There's many out there who need a new pair of shoes, but not me, Father. Take your shoes. And we, we do that to God, and we think we're being holy. We do that to God, and we think we're being sons and daughters, but you're actually not. You're being a slave. That's how slaves think. And sons and daughters receive what their father has for them, and they put it on. It's a gift of righteousness, an exchange that happens between me and God, and God definitely gets the worst end of the deal, and I definitely get the better end of the deal, but that's why it's a gift of righteousness. So what you got to do, you got to walk, you, you walk in confidence. You got to walk in confidence. You got to walk in confidence. The same day, we bought our daughter some shoes. We bought her because she, she wears, like, Mary Janes all the time and, like, little shiny shoes and, like, all these, like, dresses with her monogram on it. My, my wife likes to dress her like that, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. It's cute. It's cute. But I'm like, you know, it's a little edge, honey. So we went to Kids Foot Locker. I found an Adidas sweatsuit, you know, like Run DMC Adidas sweatsuit. If they would have had a Kango, I would have bought it for her as well, but they didn't have one. But I got her a Run DMC sweatsuit, and I'm looking for shoes. I'm not buying Nikes because you can't wear Nikes with Adidas sweatsuit. Come on, you know that, right? So I, 
I'm looking for some Adidas over here. I'm finding these little pink Adidas. I mean, she puts them on her feet. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you. She wears these things into the ground. She is so proud of her shoes. She'll run up to me and go, Daddy. You bought these for me. I go, yes, I did. Yes, I did buy those for you. People come over to the house, and she'll tell them, look at my shoes. My daddy bought these for me. I'm not offended that she's doing that. As a matter of fact, I celebrate that she's wearing and walking with confidence the gift that I gave her because she is my daughter. I just want to encourage you. Would you begin to wear the righteousness that your father has given you? And would you stop wearing it with shame and condemnation? Please put your shoulders back, lift your head up, and say, God, I thank you that I didn't deserve it, but you gave it to me anyway. I couldn't have paid for it myself, but I thank you that Jesus' blood could pay for this. I thank you that it's mine because of your goodness in my life. You wear it. You wear forgiveness. You wear your new life. You wear that righteousness. You wear that new identity. You wear it like someone bigger than you bought it for you. Your Father in heaven is so for you. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying that this message and even more importantly, even the word of God, the words from this psalm would help you not quit. I'm praying that when you fall one day this year or 15 days this year or 150 days this year, that you have the tool that you need to get back up, to come to God, to confess your sin, to receive the gift and to walk in confidence. I do not want to have a church filled with people that live with their heads held down. No, you lift your head up. You are a blood-bought son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Your identity has been changed. You have been made brand new. I want you to walk in confidence. This, my friends, this, this takes maturity. And it takes a dying to self. Because you and I will try to elevate our sin in our response to our sin above God's response to sin. We'll try to make it about our confession when it's never about our confession. It's about, what, about Calvary is what it's really about. And since it's about Calvary, what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. If you wouldn't mind, friends, bow your head just for a moment. If you're under the sound of my voice today, you've never given your heart and your life to Christ. You've never made him first. You've never made him number one. Or maybe there was a time you gave your heart and your life to Jesus, but you slipped away. You've gone another direction. And you're honest with yourself right now. You would say your life is not in God's hands. I'm not asking, do you have a Bible or were you baptized as a child? I'm not even necessarily asking, do you believe in God per se? I'm asking, are you ready to surrender your life to Jesus? 
get on the path of following him. That's you. You're under the sound of my voice. Maybe you're watching online, in the balcony, on the floor, but you've never given your heart and your life to Christ. At one point in time, you did. You slipped away. Gone another direction. It's a moment of a brand new start. The grace of God is knocking on the door of your heart. He's saying, son, daughter, it's time to come home. If that's you here, you fit either one of those categories. On the count of three, I want you to do something simple but something bold. You've never given your heart to Christ. At one point in time, you did. You slipped away, and you're ready to rededicate your life to serving Jesus. On the count of three, shoot your hand in the air. Ready? One, two, three. You're saying, yes, that's me. I want to give my heart. I want to give my life to Christ. Just put your hand in the air. Put your hand in the air. Yep. Thank you so much for raising your hand. You're saying, yes, that's me. I want to give my heart. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to make him number one. I want to make him first in my life. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I want to go his way. I'm getting off my own path. I'm getting on his path. Who else wants to get in on this prayer? You're saying, yes, that's me. That's me. I want want to give my heart. I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to ask everyone in this place to do me a favor. Put your hand over your heart and repeat this prayer out loud after me. Say, dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I admit I've made mistakes. And today, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Give me the power to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's lift our heads up and clap our hands with enthusiasm. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. What a powerful moment.